Good morning. I'm Noel Deere, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches, Texas. Welcome to this morning's daily devotion. I hope these next 10 minutes will encourage you as you seek to learn God's Word and abide with Christ. Our focus today is Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 18. And before we jump into verse 10, let me remind you how we ended verse 9. In verse 9, the scripture says that Jesus tasted death for everyone. That's good news. But what exactly does that mean? And how does that work? And how is it applied to our lives? Well, the next few verses are going to answer all of those questions. So let's read verse 10. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That's a very long sentence. Let's let's break it down. There's good news here. It begins by saying, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. That is God's goal, to bring sons and daughters to glory and for glory. That is a remarkable summary of the gospel. You know, Jesus came to do many things. He came to redeem us, to save us from our sins, to forgive us, to provide righteousness. But one way, and perhaps the best way to sum all of that up, is that Jesus came so that God could adopt us to glory, to glory. Now, he says here that Jesus is the pioneer of salvation. What does it mean that Jesus is the pioneer of salvation? Some Bible translations will say the founder or the author or the leader or the captain, and all those are good. I really like the word picture, though, in pioneer, because underneath all of these words, the original word means that it is someone who opens the way so that others can follow through. And Jesus did that. Jesus lived a sinless life for us. Jesus died for us. Jesus approaches the throne of God and sits at the right hand of the Father so that we can follow after him. Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation. And we're going to see that played out a little further later in the book of Hebrews. But then this passage says something that confuses people. It says right at the end that God made Jesus perfect through sufferings. What does that mean? Was Jesus not perfect before he suffered? Well, uh, we, we should understand that Jesus was always perfect in the sense that he has always been sinless and holy and faithful and true to his nature. Jesus didn't need any moral improvement. Uh, that's not what the incarnation or the sufferings were about. But the word perfect in the Bible means complete. It means finished. It means it is done. And Jesus, through these sufferings, he completed the necessary tasks to qualify him as our high priest. We're going to see what a high priest does. We'll see in a few verses what that means to us. But Jesus qualified himself through the sufferings. He qualified himself as our high priest, and he finished the work. He was made perfect. He It was made complete through his sufferings. Look at verses 11 and 12. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one father. Who is it who sanctifies? Well, in this context, it's Jesus. Who are those who are sanctified? That means to be made in character like Christ. We're the ones who are sanctified. For the So for the one who sanctifies, Jesus, and those who are sanctified, me and you, we all have one father. 
That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters, and I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. So we see here a further emphasis on us being a part of the family of God. We're God's children, and we're brothers and sisters with Christ. That might confuse people. Jesus is our Lord, but we are also brothers and sisters with Christ. And so there are two ways to describe uh, that uh, that incredible uh, grace-filled relationship. Now, there are a couple of things in these verses that might be easy for us to miss, but I I, I want us to slow down because uh, I just think they're important. The first is that while we know that we will worship Jesus, we worship Jesus now and we will worship Jesus in eternity. These verses also tell us that we will worship with Jesus that Jesus will be in the congregation uh, amongst the saints as we all worship the Father. That may be something you've never thought about before. We worship Jesus, and we will worship with Jesus. Now, the second thing I, I want you to see here is that it, it, the, the, the passage says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Uh, so many people today struggle with uh, with shame and guilt. I, I suppose we all struggle with shame and guilt in some respect. Uh, pe- people tell me often that they just can't forgive themselves. Well, salvation means that all of our sins are forgiven. Christ has died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. No sin is out from under that umbrella. Christ has died for all sins. Not only has he died for all sins, but he has fully forgiven all sins. It's not that he has halfway forgiven those sins. He has fully forgiven those sins. The way the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 8 is there is now no condemnation uh, for those of us who are in Christ. We are not condemned in any way because of our sins. They've all been forgiven. But another way to say this is what we read here in verses 11 and 12. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Uh, if if you're filled with shame, if you're ashamed of who you are, what you've done, listen, know this. If you're a child of God, your sins are so forgiven, Jesus is not ashamed of you. You shouldn't be ashamed. You shouldn't be filled with shame because Jesus puts his arm around you and proudly and gladly calls you a brother and sister in Christ. He identifies with you. Why? Not because you've not done anything shameful. We all have. But because your sins have been forgiven. Jesus is unashamed of you. Well, let's go quickly through the rest of the chapter. Uh, Verse 13, again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Verse 14, now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, we might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. Uh, The death of Christ is presented here as accomplishing two things. Uh, The death of Christ uh, satisfied the demands of justice. God is holy. God demanded that all sins be paid for. Either we would pay for them or Christ would pay for them. Christ died on the cross and he satisfied the judgment of God. We call that theologically the substitutionary atonement. Jesus was our substitute and made atonement, made payment for our sins. So that's one thing that was accomplished on the cross. But there was another thing. Also on the cross, uh, Jesus defeated 
the devil. The devil is defeated. Now, you might say it doesn't seem like he's defeated, and the Bible says that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So in what way is the devil uh, defeated? Well, he will one day be more defeated, but he's defeated today in that he has been disarmed. Uh, Through the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus has taken away Satan's only two weapons. What, What were Satan's weapons? Well, number one, he accused us. He accused us of sin before the Father. The other weapon is uh, death, uh, the fear of death. Uh, people are fearful of death, the sting of death. Well, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he forgave all of our sins. And so Satan can't accuse me of anything. My sins are forgiven. And Jesus also took away the sting of death because I have eternal life. So Satan, in that sense, can use neither of his weapons against me. He has been defeated. Look at verse 15, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. And so this is just a further uh, elaboration of what we see in verse 14 with the defeat of Satan. Uh, I love how the Puritan John Owen uh, said this. He, In fact, he titled one of his books, The Death of Death. He said, uh, when, when Jesus died, death died. Death no longer has power over us. Verse 16, for it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Now, who are Abraham's offspring? Well, Abraham is the father of our faith. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so all of us who believe God, who trust and have faith in God, we are Abraham's children. Now, here it says that Jesus came and died to redeem us, not the angels. Why is that important? Well, we've already seen this uh, earlier in the book of Hebrews, but it's a it's a reminder, and it's a reminder that's valuable to us because we need to understand that we are valuable to God, and we are valuable to God because we've been created in the image of God. We're not valuable to God because we're powerful or we're knowledgeable or any of those things. In fact, the angels are more powerful. They can accomplish more than we can accomplish, and they're more knowledgeable than we are. No, it's not those things that make uh, make one valuable. It's that we've been created in the image of God, and so God sent Jesus to die for our sins. So we look around in our world, and when we're trying to decide whether somebody is valuable, uh, listen, creating the image of God, they're valuable. And so racism is wrong. Abortion is wrong. We must value people because God values people. Quickly, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, uh, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Uh, He's able to help them. Now, I'm going over this quickly because this uh, uh, this is going to be repeated uh, often in the next uh, couple of chapters. But he says here that there are two reasons that Jesus died. Uh, we're going to see a third one added in the next few verses, but there are two reasons here. One is to make atonement for our sins, to pay for our sins so he, so he can be our high priest. Make, make a way for us to be right with the Father. The second reason is that he can sympathize with us when we are tempted. Jesus was tempted like we are tempted, so we can go to him for help, for solace, for encouragement uh, to face temptation. 
Friends, thanks for watching or listening. If you're on YouTube, please hit subscribe to make sure you never miss one of these videos. We're also on your favorite podcasting app. You can get more information at nobledeer.com. I hope you have a great day as you endeavor to abide in Christ. Christ.